Well, good morning. It's cool. It's good to see you, too. Good morning. My name's Stephen, and uh, before we start this morning, I want to get ahead of something real quick. Last time I preached was early February, uh, and the ice storm came in, and we weren't sure if we were going to do church or not, and we did it a little bit differently in the back room, and uh, I did my closing twice that day. I don't know if you caught on to that, but I'm covenanting with you now with the bad weather coming in that we'll do the close one time because it's good enough. Okay, we don't need to do it twice. Hebrews, by nature, is where we are uh, this morning, is very repetitive, and we're coming off of really a couple months with the pace that we've been going through Hebrews of a lot of repetition where uh, the writer is saying, out with the old and in with the new, out with the old and in with the new. Jesus is better, right? He's better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. He's better than Isaac. He's better than Melchizedek. He's better than the law. He's better than the angels, right? This has been the theme of Hebrews. This morning, we pivot just a little bit. We're still going to go out with the old and in with the new, but we're going to do it through a new lens and a new context and really start gaining some traction on what it is that the writer was trying to convey uh, to the people who were receiving this letter uh, when it was written. Before we do that, though, it's important for us as a church just to recognize a couple of things, what's going on in the life of the church, not just this church, but the church, the big C church, the universal church. Uh, Today is Palm Sunday, if you didn't know. If you've been around the branch at all, you know that we do Easter just about every week. We're constantly celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. This morning, however, we're celebrating Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus as he marched, really paraded into Jerusalem uh, to his death on our behalf. And uh, so to do that, I just want to steady our hearts a little bit. So if you'll, um, you don't have to flip there, but I'm going to read from Matthew 21. This has nothing to do with Hebrews, so this one is free. Okay, this is Matthew chapter 21. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to pick up in verse 6. It says this, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful this morning that as we gather as the body of Christ, as we gather as the church, as brothers and sisters this morning, uh, that from the beginning of time you have carved out this time for us to make much of you. And so it is my prayer this morning as we reflect on the gospel of Matthew, as we reflect on the triumphal entry of your Son and our Lord as he marched into Jerusalem. According to your will, your perfect good holy and righteous will. As he was paraded up a hill to his death, the death that we deserve, a death that we earned, that in the death of Jesus our Savior, we received his inheritance. We received what is rightfully his. So I pray that you would help us to really press into that, not just today, but throughout the rest of this week as we lean into Easter, but throughout the rest of our lives. Father, this is the message that we proclaim. This is the good news that there is one who has come who has died in our place so that we may be made right to you. So may we together, 
as the church, cry out, Hosanna in the highest. We love you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to try not to make a whole bunch of noise about the thunder. We'll let the Lord do that for himself. I would imagine there will be more thunder than amens from you, so I'm good with that. All right? If you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over to... That was a very nervous laughter, by the way, so that's good. You're like, oh gosh, he's judging us. Yes, I am. We're in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 19. There, there's a therefore. We've done this before, but we always have to ask what is the therefore, right? And we're not, we don't have time to do all that. We, we only have seven verses here, and we don't have enough time. So we're not going to go back. We're going to trust that it, you kind of know what's going on in the context here. To move forward, we're just gonna, I'm going to read through. So let's listen to the word of the Lord. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, capital D, drawing near. Uh, if you're involved in a family group, we typically read these passages the week before we preach them. However, this past week was family reunion, so we didn't, either your group didn't meet, or maybe you met and just did dinner and fellowship, but you didn't really dive into the text. That was a swing and a whiff on our part. This is probably a text we should have pressed into, and I know our group uh, skipped over reading the text this week and just enjoyed being with one another. But this is really one of the mountaintops, one of the peaks of the letter of Hebrews. And uh, I, I want us to just spend time here. So instead of going back to family group, we can't do that. We're just going to press into the text and, and break it down word by word. If you were listening just now, or if you've read this over the course of this week preparing for Sunday, again, that's our hope, by the way, by doing this, is that in your family group, we're learning to read the scriptures for ourselves. Okay? In community with brothers and sisters, we read and we press in, and then we come in on Sunday and we kind of clarify and move forward. Okay? That's the hope of a family group. But in that rhythm, we're all learning how to read the Bible for ourselves. So if there's a family reunion and you get to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, you're like, hey, this sounds familiar and probably should read it. You can now do this on your own. Right? You don't need us and you don't need all of this in order to open the Word of God. Amen to that, okay? You don't have to do it. I'll do it for you. Uh, this is, uh, there's not been very many times throughout history where people have had the kind of access that we have to the Word of God. If, if you have a hardback Bible or leather bound, like if you have a physical Bible, hold it up. I'm not judging you. Just hold it up, okay? If, if you have your phone, hold it up. Don't do it because I will judge you. Uh, that's not a Bible. This is the Bible, all right? I'm just teasing but do you see how if you've forgotten your Bible or it's raining and you don't want to mess up your goatskin leather, you can have your phone, right? So we have access to God's Word at all time. There is no excuse anymore for us not to dig deep into the Word of God. And so that's what I want us to do this morning. If you heard the repetition in this passage, you heard what? We have 
twice, and you heard let us three times. And so we're going to use that rhythm, that cadence, to walk through the passage this morning, okay? We have let us. So let's start in chapter 10, verse 19. This is the great assurance, if you will, the assurance that we have of our faith in Jesus as our Lord. Now, if you've been here at all over the course of the last year or so, as we've been in Hebrews, you kind of know the theme of, what we're, of where we're headed. You know the idea of the tabernacle. You know that the old laws now passed away and new laws come in, that Jesus has, now he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law, right? This is, all, this is not new if you've been here or if you, if you know the biblical text at all. However, I think it's important, just for the way of refreshing our memories, because we are human, just to press into what was the tabernacle? And then to ask the question, what is the tabernacle? Okay? The tabernacle in the Old Testament, for the Old Covenant, was the place where sin was remediated. Okay? It's where sin was forgiven. It was a physical place. There was a uh, holy of holies. There was a place within the tabernacle that you and I weren't allowed to go to. Just one person was allowed to go in there, and they could only do it once a year, and they had to be made right. They had to be washed and cleaned and perfect, and then they could go in, but only for a certain time, and then they had to get out. Right? This was the place of the Lord. Okay? Behind the veil, behind the curtain, this is where God resides. Okay? This was the belief in the Old Testament, the people of Israel. Are we good? Okay? So this is what was happening there. Okay? So once a year, the high priest, the one, goes in and he makes a sacrifice on behalf of the people. Okay? And now the people of Israel are made right to God. This is the rhythm of the tabernacle. Listen to what it says in Hebrews. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence now, that's me and you. We have confidence to enter that holy place, right? There's something about a mystery of a place that you're not allowed to go to. Would you agree with that? I, I've got three kids. My oldest just turned seven. If we say, hey, don't go there, guess what usually happens? There's a, they're at least going to peek in there, okay? They may not go, well, they're going to go in. They're going to go in. But the first thing they're going to do is they're going to peek in, see what's happening, look back to see if we've watched them, and then go in, right? I mean, that's what they do. If you did that in the tabernacle, you die. Okay, maybe we should read them this. I don't know. But, <laughs> but, but if we're told, hey, you can't go somewhere, the first thing we do is our curiosity is spiked, and we want to know, okay, well, why can't I go there? And who are you to tell me that I can't go there? Right? That's what we do. But we always want to peel back the curtain, and we want to look behind. Okay? That's what happens with us. We are human. But now, in the new covenant, right, we've said out with the old, in with the new, we have confidence to enter that place. Okay, not from anything that you and I have done, but by the blood of Jesus. Okay, so next week when you come back and we're celebrating Easter and we're doing the thing, this is what we're celebrating. Not the fact that the veil was torn. Not the fact that now we can physically go into a place that we weren't allowed to go before. But now that we have full, unadulterated access to God the Father. Through Christ the Son by the power of the Spirit. That is what it means to be a Christian. It has nothing to do with the tabernacle physical. It has everything to do with the tabernacle, us, the body, the people of Christ, being made right with God the Father and living like we were back in the garden. That is what is happening. When the veil is torn, the garden is re-exposed. Do you understand that? That is what's happening when Jesus dies and the veil is torn. Okay, let's dive back in. This is verse 20. By the new and living way that he opened, this is Jesus, by his blood, that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. The imagery here is that as his flesh tore, so did the curtain. 
So did the veil. So did the do not disturb sign. And now we go in with full confidence. Verse 21, since we have a great priest over the house of God. So what do we have? We have a confidence and we have a great priest. The, the tension that the, the reader, the original reader would be be feeling is that there was an actual priest there. Okay, this would be like if I'm your priest and I'm saying, hey, there's one that's better than me. It takes humility not just to write this letter, but to then read it in front of the people who call you priest. Because you are saying that there is one who's coming after or before me that is better than me. Right? When we stand up here, whether it's Gabe or it's me or it's Dylan or it's Daniel or it's somebody else, what we're saying is we're just a crossing guard saying, Jesus is this way. That's the role of the priest, plain and simple, is we open up the Word of God and we say, here's Jesus, come and follow Him. You don't have to do as I do. You do what the Word says, and that's the role of the priest. So we have a confidence. You know what it means to be confident? You hold your head high and you walk faithfully. You walk with an energy, like a little pep in your step right? I was a baseball player my whole life, and there is something true about, uh, and it's, this is true in most athletics, but if you're not confident, you ain't no good. The problem that baseball players have is they get too confident, right? And all of a sudden, nobody likes them anymore, and they're kind of jerks, okay? That was me, okay? That just, that's me, okay? I'm going to tell you some of my story. I think it's important this morning, too, as we kind of dive in, because there's a lot in that, as I'm, I'm joking, that is, is my story. It is my testimony of how God has brought me out of self-righteousness into holiness, okay? And so I, I want to press into that here in a little bit. We're going to do that in one of the let us's, okay? So we have a confidence, and we have a great priest. Let's look at verse 22. Now we move from the great assurance to the great invitation. Listen to what it says. Because we have a great high priest, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, my, my parents are here this morning. They generally come when I'm preaching because I think they love me. Uh, I think it more, has more to do with we have a, a baby who's also here. She's about to be a year old, which is hard to believe. She used to be the one with the pink helmet on in here. People are like, oh, well, what do you, you, like, what's wrong with her head? It just looked funny, so we put a helmet on her, okay? Um, she's free from that, right? She's been sanctified from the helmet. It was horrible. Uh, but my, my parents are here, so they, they are very much responsible for the person that I am today, the way that I raise, and, and in all the good ways. I'm about to talk about some things with some, some flaws in me, okay? This is not their fault. This is not me mirroring their behavior. But there, there are two things in particular. If you know me well, these are not my gifts, okay? One is compassion, okay? You should feel very sorry for my children most days, and I love them dearly. But I have to constantly check my compassion with my kids. And it's not just them. It's you too, kind of. Okay? The other is my patience, right? And those things tend to go hand in hand. Is as your compassion wanes, so does your patience. So those are the vice, right? As a kid growing up, and we grew up in church, and, and my parents raised us in the ways of the Lord. But for me, my God was always baseball. Now, I would worship and come to church on Sundays, and we would do the Wednesday night thing, and we had this thing in Gainesville, that's where I grew up, called Jumpstart on Tuesday morning. So I was doing the church thing as much as I could, 
right? And, and everybody else thought I was a pretty good kid, right? The problem was good got in the way of holy, okay? So my testimony, and, and we like to celebrate the, oh, he was saved from drugs or drinking or dancing or whatever. That wasn't my story. It's not my story. I was saved from death just like you were, though, right? So I was saved from a nominal, apathetic Christianity where I grew up very legalistic. Again, not because of my parents. It's just I'm the oldest of four boys. I carried the weight of leadership my whole life. So I had to do things the right way, not because of anything other, but just for them to see that it was done the right way, okay? There's nothing holy in that, all right? I was doing it more for the being made right or checking the box thing, okay? So that's my story, okay? But just like you, and regardless of whatever your story is, and maybe it was the drinking, the dancing, and all that kind of stuff, we were both dead before Christ came and said, you're mine, you come with me. And he stands before the Father, instead of it being my lack of compassion, my lack of patience, my self-centeredness, whatever the thing is that you're brought in here this morning, now we stand in front of the Father, and instead of him looking at us, he looks at Jesus and says, you're good, come in. This is what happens when the tavern of the veil is torn apart in the tabernacle. Now we bring all this stuff. It's like, Lord, this is legalism, by the way. Okay, this is what I'm demonstrating. This is my legalism hand. It's my right hand, so this is what I do. I could bang this, but then I'd feel very Baptisty. Right? We, we like to bring our stuff to God and say, okay, Lord, look, this is my checks and balance sheet. I did these things wrong. Don't look at these. I did these things right. Have you ever done that? It's okay to say yes. Like, I just kind of, I don't want to say undress, but I kind of just let you in. It's okay for you to be like, yeah, I kind of do that sometimes. We all do that. It's our human nature. We like to think that if we do something bad, there's something good that we can do to make up for it. That's not Christian, by the way. We call that karma. Okay, that if we do enough good things to balance out the bad things that we do, the bad things don't matter and God doesn't see them. The truth is he doesn't see them, not because of anything you've done, but because everything that his son has done on your behalf. And now he doesn't see you. Now he does see you. This is the beauty of Hagar, right? He's a God who sees me. He does see you, but before he sees you and after he sees you, he sees Jesus. That's the gospel, So I don't know, as we read chapter 10, verse 22, and it says, let us draw near with a true heart. A true heart is given to you. It's not earned, it's not gained, it's not worked for. You can't strive toward it. There's not enough compassion or patience in the world that you can bring to the table to make your heart right. Let us draw near with a true heart. I don't know why you're here this morning, actually. Maybe I do. You heard I was preaching, and you're like, oh, God, i got to come back. This is the guy who does this closing twice. See? It's easier to make fun of yourself when you're up here in front of people and they give you a microphone. I don't know why you're here, though, here, here. Not like philosophically wise man here, but like why are you here in this place today at this time in this moment? Is it because somebody invited you? Is it because somebody expects you to? Or is there some sort of covenantal promise with the people you're sitting next to that draws you here week after week? Right? We like to think that, this again, this is legalism speaking, that our church attendance makes us right. Listen, church attendance is important. Okay, hear me say that. I'm not making fun of that. I'm not neglecting that. But the reason you're here is more important than you showing up. If you're here for a date, wrong reason. If you're here because your mom expects you to be here, that's the wrong reason, right? We're going back to the tabernacle. 
We're bringing stuff with us to the table of the Lord and saying, look, here's my stuff. My attendance was good. Right? It's not what God expects from us. He expects worship. He expects affection. He expects attention. He expects all of us. And when we're just showing up for attendance sake, you know what we've forgotten to bring? Our soul. It's somewhere else. Our body is here. Our mind might even be here. Our soul is nowhere to be found. And so as we come together as brothers and sisters, we need to check our hearts. And this is why community is so important. This is why everything we do at the branch is through the lens of family. Right? We call them family groups because we are displaying, we are practicing, we are imitating what it looks like to be a family of God. When we gather here, we are displaying, we are imitating, we are practicing what it looks like to be the family of God for eternity. You do know that we get to do this throughout eternity. Where we come, You're not going to have to hear from me, though, uh, which is probably good for you, but we are going to come together, and we are going to sing, and we are going to worship God throughout eternity. And what we are doing here is practicing that. So let's make much of these gatherings. There's, that's one soapbox. I had two. I almost gave you the, a warning beforehand, but then I thought that some of you would brave the rain and leave. There's one more to come. We're getting there, okay? Let's keep going. Let us, this is verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen to verse 23. Let us, here's the second one, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is probably a verse maybe that you memorized as a kid. If you ever did vacation Bible school or you grew up in the church, this is, this is one that we like to highlight, right? Even still, the promise in this, that he who promised is faithful. I, I didn't make a promise. I've, I've made a promise to this church. I'm a member here. My family and I have joined about a year ago. And we've covenanted with those of you who are members to walk together in Christ's likeness, to exhort one another and to encourage each other as we grow in our likeness of Jesus. But that's kind of it. You haven't, if you're here and you're not a member, you haven't made me a promise. I haven't made you a promise. We're not great promise keepers, by the way. There used to be an event uh, called Promise Keepers. Did anybody ever go to that? I got to go once or twice with my dad. It was really fun. Uh, but we're not really great at promises, right? I mean, look at the divorce rate. And we want to say divorce rate outside of the church, right, is one thing. The divorce rate inside the church looks exactly like it does outside the church because our covenanting is like the tabernacle. We want to bring stuff. We want to check and balance everything. And so the divorce rate looks outside the church just like it does inside the church. It looks no different. And that's not me judging. If, if you're in here and you're divorced or you're walking through divorce, like that's what we're for. That's what the church is for. We will walk with you hand in hand. We will cry the same tears that you're crying. We will shout the same shouts that you're shouting, right? That's what brothers and sisters do. That's what church does. That's what the local church does. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, for Jesus, made the promise on our behalf, and he's faithful to that promise. Have you ever broken one? I'm just curious. You don't have to raise your hand. There's enough judging people today. Well, I have. I want to say daily, but then that makes me feel really bad. But I, make, I break promises all the time. Promises to get ice cream after a soccer game. Like, oh gosh, it's late. It's like 9 o'clock. We got to go home. We can't, have, we can't stop by Dairy Queen. Well, I promised. I broke that promise. Did that this weekend. Twice. Right? And we laugh, but it's a real thing. Especially to my four-year-old who loves ice cream. Okay? What is our confession? 
before we move on, I'm not, we're not going to spend a ton of time here. We're going to take a break from Hebrews, I think over the course of the summer, and we're going to dive deep into the Apostles' Creed. So we'll do a lot of this then. But what is our confession? Our confession is simple. It's Jesus is Lord. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus paid it all, however you want to say it. That's it. That's the confession that we hold. And anything we add to that confession is idolatry. It's legalism. It's Jesus paid it all plus me doing right things, or Jesus paid it all plus my church attendance is no longer Christian. If it was Jesus plus anything, and this is the whole theme of the book of Hebrews, if it was, if the gospel is Jesus plus something, we didn't need him. We didn't. He didn't need to die. He didn't need to go away for three days in a quiet, cold, dark tomb. He didn't need a crown of thorns. He didn't need to be lashed 39 times. Peter didn't need to deny him. None of that needed to happen because we could have controlled the outcome. But the reality is, if that was a possibility, we never would have chosen it. And God, the Father, in his sovereignty and in his grace, knows our hearts. And he knew that no matter how many laws he put into place, that we could never keep them. But he knew one. There was one that he would send who could keep them all and keep them perfectly so that we don't have to. Let us hold fast to the confession that Jesus is Lord. He makes promises and he's faithful to those promises. Verse 24. Let us, precursor, second soapbox, coming in about 30 seconds. Okay? So buckle up. Here we go. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Do you see the shift here that the writer is making? Now all of a sudden we're looking out, now we're looking in. And he's looking specifically into the church. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider one another. Back to the question. It's kind of the same soapbox, so we'll count it as one. Why are you here? If you're here for the good preaching, if you're here because we have some cool lights over there, or if you're here because we're in a basketball gymnasium and you think that's neat, those are the wrong reasons. We have, and I've been in the church my whole life, but I've worked in the church basically my whole adult life. Pastored, I've been on staff at churches that had 30-something thousand members. And please, don't hear me saying, look at me, this is not that. I've seen how ugly it can get. The methods, the bait and switching, the, hey, if we do this, it's Field of Dream stuff. If we do this, they will come. The goal in that is them coming. Okay, and please don't hear me. I'm not bashing my resume. I love the churches that God had called, has called me to. But it becomes very different when the reason that we're gathering together is less about how good the preaching is, less about how good the music is, less about the smoke and the lights and the kids program, and more about the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed clearly week after week. You know what happens to church attendance when we preach the gospel every week? It goes down. It does. Every time. And you know what? It's okay. Because the number one thing that the church, the body of Christ, must do is not make much of each other. 
but make much of Jesus. And that's what the branch, this church, now we're not perfect, okay? If, you've, if like this is your first time, you're like, I found the perfect church. This isn't it. We're close, like really close. Just a couple more tweaks and we'll be there, right? We're never going to get there. There's no such thing as a perfect church. So to stand up here and say, hey, the light show is bad or this is bad, look, we have our things and we are happy to call them out when we see them, right? We had a huge shift away from missional communities to family groups because we needed to press into what we were actually doing in the rhythm of our church, right? Not that missional communities were bad, not in their nature, they just weren't on, pur- on purpose, right? If you've been a part of a family group, you kind of have felt the purpose of those family groups as we gather together in the rhythm of a family sharing a meal together and diving into God's Word, right? There's beauty in that, okay? So when you, become, when you come in, and look, this is one of the things that I love about being here in Dahlonega, is there's a lot of college students. So what happens in August is we get a huge influx of freshmen, right? They come in and they're all excited to be in college. I think they're more excited to not be at mom and dad's anymore, but they're really excited to be here, right? And then they start doing the thing. They come here and then they go to another church and then they go to another church and really they spend four years or longer just bing, bing, ping pong balling, church to church. And basically they've been raised, like many of us were raised, just to go find where you feel good. Go find your preference and stick in there. And as soon as your preference changes or the church is no longer meeting your preference, then you go over here. Well, this one's meeting my preference. I like their music better, right? This sounds really mean. Again, this is back to my lack of compassion. I'm I'm sorry. I've warned you. There's hope there. There's hope there. And our covenant here at the branch is regardless of all the peripheral stuff, is to always center on the gospel of Jesus. Always, in every single environment, in everything that we do, whether it's a meeting before or after church, it's set up, it's worship gathering, it's the kids stuff, it's family group, it's family reunion, everything we do will be for the sole purpose of the kingdom of God, coming to earth. That's it. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I want to say this as we move on and we're coming to the close. I'm going to close with um, reading from Jonathan Edwards. And I decided to do this about uh, 31 minutes ago, okay? But we're going to use this as a close. It also will help me to not repeat it because then I'll know I've done it, right? Listen to this. When the church caters to the preferences of its members, it will collapse under the neglect of the gospel. When the church caters to the preference of its attendees, it will collapse under the neglect of the gospel. That is the greatest danger the American church in particular has today. That the more we cater and crumble and cave in to what the world says we should be, the more we neglect the gospel. I don't know what you, I woke up very early this morning, not because I was preaching, because I stink at sleeping. But it had something to do with preaching, right? There's there's this holiness that happens, and I'm being serious right now, when you're you're responsible for leading people through the Word of God, where it starts to weigh on you, and all of a sudden at 3 o'clock you're like, oh, that's today, right? I don't know what you woke up if you read the news this morning. There was a bombing in Indonesia this morning at a church on Palm Sunday. You probably, if you haven't heard about that, you didn't come in here fearful that that was going to happen, did you? We generally don't. Now, there are weird 
circumstances, even in the United States, where stuff like that happens to the church. But in other parts of the world, it happens regularly. Sometimes we hear about it, sometimes we don't. And I, again, I don't want to make much of terrorism. I don't want to make much of anything else. But I will say, I've said this before, up here, in fact, right here, that the greatest threat to the American church is not bombings. It really isn't. The greatest threat to this church, to the American church, is apathy. It's ignorance. It's a lack of pressing into God's word. It's preference over gospel. That's the greatest threat. If you want to see the church disappear, let's keep doing that. But if we want to see the church thrive and the kingdom of God come, let's dig into the word of the Lord together and push and exhort and encourage one another to Christ-likeness. In this passage, we see a, a look to the past, a reconciliation with the present, and a pointing to the future. Right? I, I love where he says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. You know, you can kind of see a snide remark like Gabe or I were like, those people, those some people. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day. You know what the day is? There is coming a day where we don't have to worry about nominal Christianity. We don't have to worry about bombings in other parts of the world. There is going to be a day when Jesus makes everything new. All of it. There's a day when we get to step back into the garden in perfect relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son by the power of the Spirit. There's coming a day. The day. It's capitalized. It says it right here in my Bible. It's a capital D. The day where every tear, all the tears in Indonesia being wept this morning, there's a day where those will cease. All the tears today of families coming in carrying significant weights in this room this room, look around, there is serious weight being carried in week after week after week, and they get in a car and it's weeping. Those tears will cease. There's a day where I will be compassionate first. There's a day where patience ceases to exist because we are in the presence of our Creator, our King. If you've ever heard of Jonathan Edwards, um, I want to read to you from his resolutions. I, I told you I would give you a little glimpse into my story, and I did that with some of the idolatry stuff, but uh, I have a degree in spiritual formation in historical theology. So all that means is I really like church history, and I enjoy reading. Okay? Um, that's it. So Jonathan Edwards is a church hero of mine, someone that I've looked to most of my life, at least most of my adult life, as an example to follow. Right? Christ-likeness is really hard when we try to do it on our own. It's a little bit easier when we follow what Paul said, is you, you follow me as I follow Christ. So I'm always looking for examples. I'm looking for music. We sang some of it today. And we're happy to give examples. There's the sovereign grace music. Like if you're looking for stuff that's going to spur you on to Christ-likeness, that's a good place to start because you're gonna, you're, you won't remember the three phenomenal points that I had on this iPad today, but you probably will go home singing one of these songs. And so if these songs aren't gospel-centered, we've failed you. Part of my story, at least over the last, uh, what are we in, March? It's March. Uh, is in G early January, uh, my wife's family is all from Alabama. And they're from the Cowtown part of Alabama, Auburn. And um, I decided to go for a run. For no real reason, I'm not a runner at all. I don't like running. I played college baseball. I did all the running I ever needed to do in college. I had no desire to do it. And I started jogging downtown Auburn, and there's this cemetery right in the middle of town. And I walked in there, jogged in there, and then I walked. 
And I started just paying attention. When I was in college, I had a guy who took us into cemetery, and he was like, just look around and pay attention. And I don't know if you've ever done it. It seems really weird, and I don't mean it to sound weird, but until you've done it, don't judge me. But I just started walking around and started looking at dates. And this is a very old cemetery, so nobody in our time frame would be in the cemetery. Most of the tombstones are faded or cracked or crumbled. But there was one in particular, and it was this little boy who was six years old. And all, all it was is like this little statue, and it was very small, maybe about you know, 12 to 18 inches tall. And under it, it said his name, and I wish I could remember his name, because then it would be like it really happened, but I don't remember his name. But he was six years old. And at the time, Braden was six. He just turned seven. And so I'm, I, you know, I look at it, and I, I get here, and I stop, because it's obviously the tomb of a child. And it got me thinking, like, well, what are you doing? Six-year-olds don't just die. Something happens to a six-year-old for them to die. And there is a story behind this little boy. Uh, was stung by a bee, and it killed him. And it gets you thinking when you start pressing into stuff like that. It's like, what is my life? What am I living for, and what am I living towards, right? And then you start checking, like, your own rhythms of life. At the time, I was pretty unhealthy, didn't really care much about anything, ate whatever I want, never exercised. But I was on a run when I saw the tomb of a child. And I covenanted with myself to get healthy. And I started running. I don't know why. I guess maybe because I was on a jog. And so I set a goal to run a marathon by the end of the year. Okay? And I don't say this to make much of like running a marathon. I've never done it before, obviously. It's terrible. The training is the pits. Okay? I'm halfway there. Halfway there feels like an eternity away. But you know what happens throughout the process of training for a marathon? You become disciplined. You kind of obsess over it, right? You start thinking about stuff like this, and all of a sudden it's raining, and you're like, oh gosh, how am I going to get out there today, right? What if we did that with God's Word? What if we did that with our spiritual formation? If we had the same obsessive nature, not over our health or over our relationships or over whatever it is, but with the Word of God? Megan and I have been married for a long time now, 11 years in May, not as long as some of you, but long. We've been, she knows me really well, and I can't hide from her anymore, okay? When I come home, sometimes she says, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And then after the kids go to bed, are you really okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I swear, I'm fine. She knows when to press in and when not to press in, because we have lived enough life together, right? There was a time in our early days when we were dating where she was my every thought. Now, this sounds super cheesy. I don't mean it to be super cheesy. It's just real. If you've been there, you know it, right? Where you're captivated by someone, where you're wooed by someone, where you're, where you're pursuing them to every end. And then you get married and you have kids and you have to fight for that kind of stuff, right? It doesn't happen maybe as naturally as it used to. But what does happen is she knows me better now than she did 11 years ago or 15 years ago when we met. She knows when I come home to ask, hey, are you okay? And to back off. Or, hey, are you okay? And when to press in. I also think she kind of likes me and loves me, and so she's trying to check in to make sure I'm actually good. <laughs> some days it's true, and some days I'm not, right? Listen to what Jonathan Edwards writes. These are his resolutions. This is very uh, convicting. He was 18 years old when he began these, okay? And he kind of, I think he added and edited them as his life progressed. Listen to this. He says this. This is kind of the intro, and this is like the first three or four resolutions that he wrote. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace 
to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will, for Christ's sake. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration. Resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolved to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. Resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. This is the last one I'll read. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. We have, we have, let us, let us, let us. This is the gospel. This is what the Lord has for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as we close our time here and continue in worship that you would consistently, to use Jonathan Edwards again, stir our affections towards you. Father, I'm thankful that you have given us a full assurance of faith that you and you alone have accomplished our salvation. You have made all things right. That there is coming a day when every tear will be wiped away, where every head will bend and every knee bow. We pray that throughout this week as we lean into Easter, that you would remind us that the day is drawing near. God, I'm grateful uh, for this church family. And I pray as you continue to push us forward as a church, that you would help us together as a community, as brothers and sisters, to strive towards Christ's likeness, exhorting and encouraging one another along the way. God, I pray that our commitment and our covenant to one another would spur us on to loving those outside of our community in a way that you have loved us first. God, we're thankful for the freedoms that we have to meet and to gather, to sing and to pray, to read of your word. We pray that in all things that Jesus would be glorified, that he be made much of. And uh, we love you, we thank you, we pray 